Good morning. <clears throat> the hearty souls of Mountain View. You made it to church. So I gotta tell you that I am really impressed with the Pakistani contingent. These people, yes, these people from the part of the world where it almost never snows, here you are. You're here this morning. And look at all the empty seats of the people who are afraid of the snow. So sometimes, uh, I think in some places there's more snow than others. Uh, I heard at, uh, at a, uh, Dan's house there's 14 inches. So um, out up on, uh, off of McCree Road, you guys have that much too? The Eastman's, okay. So congratulations for making it today. Um, I had intended that for us to have uh, another passage also read. I think Dan started at verse 15. And let's also hear um, from verse 12, these three verses from Mark chapter 11. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Dan mentioned this is that we're doing a new series for Lent, and instead of having it up here, we have it up here. Real, live, this is not a video. This is the real thing. And um, we're really grateful to, uh, to Jackie Fuller, who um, uh, kind of gave us the conception for this, but also um, everybody who helped um, put it up there especially Joe and, and Rich and the team of folks who um, put this up on the wall and made it stay. It's, uh, it's going to be there for a while. But this is our theme for Lent this year, Lead Me to the Cross. And we've actually taken this theme from one of our best love worship songs. Do you know the song? I think you do, because we sing it all the time. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Sing it with me. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me, lead me to the cross. We're going to be singing this a few times throughout Lent, but this is our theme. It's a prayer Lord, lead me to the cross. It's a journey as we go through Lent this year. We're journeying with Jesus on the road to the cross, on his way to the cross, reading as we go from the Gospel of Mark. And we begin today with this text from chapter 11. So Mark tells us that they had arrived in Jerusalem on the day we remember as Palm Sunday. This is Jesus' triumphal entry into the holy city, He's riding on a donkey's colt. 
And people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that day happens. And then on the very next day, Mark says, as they're walking back into the city from the nearby neighborhood of Bethany, Jesus is hungry. By the way, these, these reminders of Jesus' humanity are very important in our theological understanding of the Son of God. Jesus was hungry. He was a human. He was fully human and fully divine. And this is super important in our understanding of our faith and of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the fact that we have a high priest in Jesus and that we have a high priest who is, um, who is able to sympathize with us in every way in our weakness. We have one who in every respect, says Hebrews 4, has been tested as we are yet without sin. So the fact that Jesus was hungry meant that he was fully human and we need to remember that. So being hungry, Jesus spied a fig tree in the distance and he went to it to see if perchance there were figs. Now it's easy to kind of read right over this and think, well, yeah, okay, but there's no figs. Okay, but this is really important because it's very odd that he's doing this because everyone there would have known that there was like no way that there would be figs. It would be like one of us this morning walking up to an apple tree, which would be covered in snow, looking for a snack. You, you would never do that. Everyone knows that it's not apple season, it's, it's winter. It snowed last night. So you never look for apples on the trees in winter. Am I right? And yet, not only does Jesus look for these out-of-season figs, but then he speaks to the tree saying, no one's going to eat fruit from you ever again. He spoke to the tree. And suddenly that whole aspect of J.R.R. Tolkien's talking trees seems a little less fictional. <laughs> you know that part in the Lord of the Rings where the trees are talking and they're talking back and forth to the trees? Granted, the trees in this story didn't answer back, as far as we know. And yet, he's talking to the trees. So, here's what I want us to notice here about this. Jesus spoke to, he literally cursed a fig tree. And if that wasn't peculiar enough, he was cursing it for not bearing fruit out of season. We just need to notice here, folks, that, that Jesus is doing something bewildering here. Mark makes sure that we know that the disciples heard it. He says, and the disciples heard it. He's doing something astonishing, inexplicable. He's downright baffling. So I want you to just hold that thought, that Jesus is doing something that they just can't figure out. Okay, next, he enters the temple. And again, remember, he's just been um, celebrated the day before. Palm branches, cheers, our heroes welcome, basically. And, and the disciples were probably pretty happy 
about that. I mean, they've been wondering if Jesus was going to hit the big time. And finally, it seems like it's happening. So they come into Jerusalem and there's cheers and everybody's really excited about Jesus coming in and the disciples. Some of them are really wondering if this was ever going to happen. Finally, he's getting the recognition he deserves. And at the end of that previous day, Mark mentions that he and his disciples had gone to the temple, poked around for a bit, and then went back to Bethany for the night. And while he was there, Jesus saw something that must have bothered him. And I can imagine his stewing over that all night long. Because when he went back to the temple the next day, the first thing he did was to throw everyone out who had set up shop there. All the buyers and the sellers. He knocked over tables. The bankers and the merchants who sold animals for the temple sacrifices. And when he had finished disrupting things, he basically sat down and began to teach. Now, this did not go unnoticed by the religious leaders, the temple authorities, and they were really ticked off that someone would have the gall to disrupt things on a perfectly calm, peaceful, otherwise profitable day. And then he had the audacity to begin to speak about it, drawing a crowd of adoring students as if, as if behaving that somehow this were okay. He said, is it not written? Always be careful when Jesus says, is it not written? because he's going to come at you pretty hard with something that you're doing wrong. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the fact that the crowd was spellbound by his teaching, it just made things worse. Mark tells us that the religious leaders feared him. And consider that fear is one of the worst and most dangerous motivators of violence. So they started a plot about how they could kill him. The last thing we hear about the events of the day is that they once again went out of the city, presumably back to, to Bethany for the night. And it's actually kind of amazing that they made it out alive because people were plotting against him. Now again, I want us to notice that what Jesus did in the temple that day was from the disciples' perspective, inexplicable. You can count on the fact that if we were to have pulled any of those disciples aside at that moment, just as Jesus was causing this disturbance, if we asked them, why is he doing this, Peter? James, John, whoever you're talking to, why is he doing this? They probably would have looked at you kind of like this. Blank stare. Or even more likely, the disciples were thinking, I don't know, he's crazy. Just when things are getting good, he does this. So once again, Jesus does something that seems on the face of it to be totally confusing, if not confusing 
completely crazy. So what's going on here? There are two things I want to highlight for us this morning as we begin this journey to the cross with Jesus. Two things I want us to notice. First, that what Jesus is doing here is deeper and beyond what his disciples could have grasped at the moment. He was flying at a higher altitude than they were able to go at the, at the time. He cursed the fig tree, not because he really expected it to produce figs out of season, but to highlight the fact that his coming to Jerusalem was the beginning of a new age, a new messianic season, if you will. A season of fruitfulness even when it's not expected. He wanted his disciples to remember this. So he was, it was kind of an acted out parable. Did he really want fruit from that tree? Well, he knew there wasn't going to be any. But he wanted his disciples to remember this event. So he does this thing that's so strange. They never forgot it. I mean, it made it into Mark's gospel, right? So that they would remember. This is a new season. A season when things might happen even when you think it's impossible. A season when there's going to be new fruit, new a new word from God, new exciting things happen when you think they're going to be impossible because the Messiah is on the scene, the Christ. A new season is taking place. He wants them to know that and to remember that. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is this. His cleansing of the temple of the buyers and sellers is about more than... Um, it's about more than a criticism of consumerism in the temple, which is worth criticizing, by the way. When religious institutions, churches, temples, whatever they are, get too consumeristic, this is not a good thing. But what's going on here is, is, is deeper than that. He was doing more than that. He was, he was talking about something deeper and wider. His words were this, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. These words are a quote from Isaiah chapter 56, verse seven. This is a prophecy that outlines the role of the temple in the life of Israel. What was the temple for? And, and this is super important, it's a prophecy about Israel's role as a light to the nations. That's what Isaiah was talking about. So Jesus, when he quotes that, he's referring to this. The whole point of the temple is to bring people to God, to allow for open access. But here in this place, thought to be the court of the Gentiles is where they set this up. This is a little part of the temple called the court of the Gentiles where they were doing the buying and selling. This is the only space in the temple that outsiders could worship. 
If you weren't Jewish, you didn't get to go into the temple except this one little court. So what they've done is they've set up all the buyers and sellers in the court of the Gentiles. They've taken up all the space available for the Gentiles and they set up shop. The religious leaders had basically set up money changers and animal salesmen in the place where non-Jews could worship. And this was to make a profit from the poor people who had traveled a long distance to Jerusalem. And because they had traveled a long distance to Jerusalem, they did not have access to unblemished animals, which was a requirement of the temple. You know, you had to... You had to have an unblemished animal and the poor people would bring a pigeon or a small bird. Rich people would bring a lamb. But this system was set up to take advantage of poor people and to benefit the already rich religious elite in Jerusalem. This, I believe, is what Jesus is seeking to criticize. That the temple itself is being used to keep outsiders at a distance. And it's also being used as an instrument of injustice toward the poor of Israel. On so many levels, it was just so wrong. I agree with New Testament scholar Tom Wright who summarizes his, his thoughts about this event in Mark's gospel. He, I want to read a quote by Wright. We should think twice before we apply this passage as sometimes done to occasions when we feel that people are trying to commercialize religion, to, to mix God and mammon, he says. Yes, that's a danger and the church must always, must always watch for it. But Jesus' protest was far deeper, and if we applied it today, it wouldn't just be the churches that ought to tremble, but also the law courts and legislative assemblies, the royal palaces and banking centers, the places where power is so often wielded to benefit the already powerful and the downtreading of the already powerless the places where people with power or wealth turn in on themselves instead of outwards in generosity toward the world. That's where Jesus wants to stride today. To turn over tables and drive out traitors. So folks, on our, on our road to the cross, this season of Lent, what if we, what if we were to open ourselves to the places in our lives where Jesus would like to stride in and overturn tables? corners of our lives where we turn a blind eye to the needy, the times when we are, if we're honest, we're, when we're motivated by our own greed more than, as our, than our calling as disciples of Jesus, the times when we're self-serving and apathetic to the injustices that are happening right in our own neighborhood 
right here in our community. You and I might not see it right now, but this on this road to the cross that we're talking about, we need to remember that our leader is Jesus. The one whose actions or, or his words on the journey bring what may at first be confusing, like the fig tree incident. Or may at first seem foolish, like turning over of tables in the temple. But this is Jesus, who is also always ready to sit and teach us if we're ready to listen. This is Jesus, who is willing to do whatever it took in order to serve, including giving his very life on the cross. On this road to the cross, Jesus may want to do something new in your life, in my life. The question is, are you open? That's what the season of Lent can be about. May it be so for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for that old hymn that we sang this morning. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Was it for me? Lord Jesus was, was perfect, fully human, fully divine, perfect, but also willing to give himself in a way that may have seemed foolish. Father, in those, those ancient words that were written 310 plus years ago, we know that at the cross, you can make amazing things happen. Not only the burden of our heart to be lifted, but Lord, that the key to true joy in our lives is to be found right there at the cross. So Father, we pray that you would lead us, that we would be able to discover something new about what it means to be truly your followers, your disciples, truly human, but that we would discover, Lord, what our, our true destiny is as your children as we journey to the cross during this season. Lord, we bring you our offerings now. We pray that you would take them and, and bless them and, and use them, Lord, for your kingdom. But we offer ourselves. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.